0: colleague in South Carolina who emailed me this week and said that he would be in the city next weekend. So I invited him to come to our block party and he and his wife are going to do that. I think that's wonderful. And I also found out this week that I have friends in Pennsylvania who are coming to our block party. So uh, word has actually gotten around. I do hope that all of you will be here. And for those of you who are watching online today, if you are within driving distance of the city, please come and join us. This should be a wonderful time of fellowship and really good food. Our next scripture passage today comes to us from the book of Genesis, the sixth chapter, beginning with verse number five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it uh, the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its width, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to the cubit above, and put the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For my part, I am going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from heaven all flesh in which the breath of life exists. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every kind shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every kind of food that is eaten and store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this, he did all that God commanded him. This is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. I would like to begin this morning with some elegant poetry from the 20th century. And if these words are familiar with you, I, I would appreciate it if you would help me say them. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful, thank you. Well, I think we have two in the choir who got it right. Did anybody at home get it right? Uh, the other people in the congregation today, sorry. Ugh. A faithful trip that started from this tropic. Uh, port. port. They didn't start from an island, they started from a port. Aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing. Thank you. The mate, uh, the skipper of Braven... Five passengers set sail that day for. And three-hour tour. No, no, three-three-hour tour said twice. Three-three. See, that's that's it, Tommy. Thank you, thank you. It it is so gratifying. <laughs> to be in a church in which some people, even if they're sitting behind me, actually pay attention and listen. So thank you. Uh, go back to sleep. Uh, keep yourselves comfortable. Now, you think if we put our minds together this morning that we could change these lyrics to fit Noah's Ark? Something like, just sit right back and you're, you'll hear a tale, a tale of a mighty ark that carried llamas, giraffes, and quail above a floating park. I wonder, we could include stories, lines about Noah's children Shem, Ham, and Japheth, we could sing about Noah's love of wine. We could add a word or two about the challenges of air circulation on the ark. And maybe we could even mention that Noah was the first man born after the death of Adam. Perhaps in this way we could help our children learn the story of Noah's ark all over again. I would suggest to you, as I did in the sermon preview this week, that on most walls and Sunday school classes and churches across our nation that there is undoubtedly a picture of Noah and the ark. And the question I had the other day and the question I posed to you this morning is, why? Why in the world are we teaching children about Noah's ark? At best, Noah is a peripheral character. In this morning's story. And yet, when we talk about Noah and the ark, we focus so much on Noah and so much on, whoo, look at all these animals coming in. Isn't that art beautiful? We miss, we are in danger of missing the focus and the intent of this story. Uh, If you're confused, consider once again verse 5 in chapter 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth. And that every inclination of the faults of their hearts was only evil continually. Who is the subject of this sentence? Who did the scene? God. In verse 6, And the Lord was very sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Who is sorry? God, the Lord. And then we read in verse 7, So the Lord said, Who's speaking? The Lord. The biblical writers pointing out to us here early in the passage, focus on God, focus on the Lord. Don't get distracted by the ark and the animals and all the rain and the floods coming. Focus on what's going on with God. It, it It is understandable that we want to focus on Noah and the ark. I do. I imagine, I try to imagine what it might have been like inside the ark. But the biblical writer does not want us to focus there. The biblical writer is making the point that God's creation is broken. God's creatures, that is to say God's people are not living the way that God had graciously intended them to live. Like a boulder rolling down a steep hill, ever accelerating evil and wickedness had picked up speed and its momentum had corrupted what God had called good. The noted Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, says that the text invites us to penetrate the heart of God. What we find there is not an angry tyrant, but a troubled parent who grieves over the alienation. God is not angered, but grieved. He is not enraged, but saddened. God does not stand over and against, but with his creation. For example, we can consider verse 6 again in today's passage. It says that God is grieved. And then if you turn back to chapter 3, verse 16, uh, this is what we find. To the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbirth, In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. In pain you shall bring forth your children. The word pain in this verse is the same Hebrew word that we translate as grieved in chapter 6, verse 5. God is grieved, and God's grief is one that women in particular, those who have given birth, women in particular, can appreciate the depths and the severity of this pain. God is looking out upon God's creation, and He's not furious and angry. God is hurting. Keep in mind that in the ancient world, there are many different stories about a great flood, and they depicted capricious, brutal, unpredictable malicious gods who would just strike down people Genesis those wonderful writers of Genesis takes this material all these stories and reshapes them retells them to communicate something important to us about the nature of God and the flood is transformed from the wrath of some compressed, from some a capricious, despotic deity, and to the great anguish of the Lord who seeks to rescue and redeem creation. It's amazing. The biblical writers are even able to take the despicable, horrific tales of their culture and use them to surprise us and delight us about who God is and what God is about in the world. While well, we discover in these verses is that ours is a God who is surprisingly open and vulnerable and passionate. Some of you know the name Frederick Buechner. He is a wonderful Presbyterian pastor and writer, as a matter of fact. Some of you will also know, I think, that Buechner was in our sanctuary listening to George Buttrick in the 1950s when he received his call to ministry and he was ordained in our sanctuary. In his book, Now and Then, Binkner describes the yearning and the heart sickness of a parent over a child. He says that when, it, that when we love as we love a son or a daughter, we become vulnerable in a whole new way. When it comes to our hurt, we can handle it. We can put up a brave front, or we can become philosophical, or we can use it to grow in some sort of way. But, Buechner says, when it comes to the hurt of a child, a child you love, you are all but helpless. The child makes terrible mistakes and there's very little you can do to ease his pain, especially when you're so often a part of his pain as a child is part of yours. There is no way to make him strong with such strengths as you have found through your own hurt or wise enough through such wisdom And even if there were, it would be the wrong way because it would be your way and not his. The child's pain becomes your pain. And as the innocent bystander, maybe it is even a worse pain for you. And in the long run, even the bravest front is not much use. My friend Margaret, who died many years ago, was in her 80s when she said to me, Patrick, My children can take me to my knees faster than anything else I have ever known. The God we encounter in Scripture is the God who regards us as God's very own, a God whose heart breaks when we turn from God, when we make stupid mistakes, when we hurt one another, when we ignore the weak and weary. This is the God we meet in the story of Noah and the ark. A God who feels deeply and feels passionately and hurts like a woman in childbirth when God looks upon the way we treat one another. This is not at all unique to the book of Genesis. Consider some passages from the prophet Jeremiah. The Lord says, My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. Chapter 9 of Jeremiah. Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night. Jeremiah 10. Woe is me because of my hurt. Jeremiah 13. But if you will not listen, we are you. If you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears. And let us not forget That Jesus himself wept when he looked at the city of Jerusalem and said, If only you knew this day what would make for peace. And he wept over the brokenness of that city. Or when he heard that his friend Lazarus died. Now the shortest verse in all of scripture. Jesus wept. I can't remember where, but I once read that when we are crying following the death of a loved one, these tears are not a sign of weakness. They are simply a sign that we loved someone. And I suggest to you that a faithful reading of Noah and the Ark helps us to see that the waters of the flood are the very tears of God. Part of what it means to be a Christian, then, involves nurturing the capacity to weep, to cry, to lament. I don't mean flailing histrionics. I don't mean wallowing in self-pity. I don't mean focusing solely on myself and my personal hurts and disappointments. And I certainly don't mean whimpering in defeat. I mean cultivating a prophetic passion for God's pain. I mean, God invites us as a congregation, to put our heads against God's chest so that we can hear God's heart breaking when God looks upon the world that God created. In his wonderful book, The Suffering of God, Terence Fretheim says, the purpose of the prophet's mourning is not to hold up before God the distress of the people. It is to portray in living in personal fashion before the people the anguish of God. And that is our challenge. That is part of our call as followers of Jesus Christ, to lift up before the world the love of a God that is so deep that God even weeps. And I, maybe I'm wrong about this. Now, I don't think many people really get that. Take a poll, yeah, most people in our society will say, yeah, I believe in God, what kind of God? well, oh, I don't know, but do you believe in God? Do I believe in God, but we we place our trust in a very peculiar God who has claimed us with such passion, such parental passion that when we hurt one another, God weeps. and I, and I fear I think that instead of seeing God in this way that Many in our society tend to see God as some sort of sugar daddy. And if we pray just right, God's going to give us whatever we want. God's going to take care of all my needs. Uh, we're going to ask God to bless our greed, to affirm our insatiable appetite for luxury, to sanctify the status quo, to consecrate our consuming focus on my needs, my wants, my family, my children, my rights. But a God who calls us to weep. uh, Thank goodness in our service we have such beautiful music because you see what, what, what what these worship leaders do is help us to get in touch with the depths of our soul that mere words can't help us reach. And our music and worship is not simply to lift us up in joy, though certainly we hope that happens. But our music also helps us get in touch with the very part of God that is broken. We serve a God who calls us to weep. We cry because we share God's sorrow. We cry because We know something about the violence and mayhem of the world. We cry because we yearn for things to be different. We cry with assurance and hope because God is crying with us and God has promised that one day every tear will be wiped away. And so if we were a church that gave out weekly assignments, and we're not, and I'm rather glad that we're not because that would be just too much work on my part. But if if we were a church that gave out weekly assignments, my assignment for you this week would be uh, find a way, find a time this week to weep with God. So that when we hear again, of a woman whose life has been claimed through domestic violence, let those tears flow. When we realize that tonight we will go to bed with millions of starving children around the world, let those tears flow. When we discover another act of violence, a random shooting, a murder, a terrorist action, my friends, let those tears flow. For in our tears, our hope is that others beyond our walls will behold the very tears of God. The God who is claimed them. And the God who loves them.